many thanks for joining us for this edition of the Heart Podcast. My name is Dr. James Rudd. I'm an associate editor of Heart, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Michelle Plautz. So, whereabouts are you talking from today? Um, so I'm calling from Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C. Okay, and you're a pediatric cardiology fellow over there, is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Yes. And um, we were recently privileged at Heart to publish your paper, which is entitled Handheld Echocardiographic Screening for Rheumatic Heart Disease by Non-Experts. Um, Michelle is the first author, and Andrea Beaton is the senior author on the, on the study. Would you like to briefly describe the, the problem that you were trying to address, Michelle, by setting up this, this study? Uh, certainly. So rheumatic heart disease continues to cause uh, significant morbidity and mortality um, worldwide, particularly in children and adolescents um, who live in low-resource countries. And really, echocardiography has emerged as an important technology as it's been shown to have improved sensitivity over auscultation alone. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, nationwide echo RHD screen programs have really been hampered due to the cost of echo equipment as well as the need for specialized healthcare workforce to uh, do the echo screenings themselves. Um, so really, handheld echo offers some promise in that it's, a little, it's more portable, it's less costly, and it's been shown to have good sensitivity and specificity when uh, performed by cardiologists, but really there's little information known about handheld echo for RHD screening in the hands of non-experts. Okay. And so that really was the main question that we were trying to get at was sort of what is the performance of handheld echo for RHD screening when done by non-experts? And then also to determine the reasons for disagreement between sort of handheld screening versus the standard portable screening, which is what's currently recommended. Okay. So, and your study was based in Uganda, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. We um, primarily did our study up in uh, two schools in northern Uganda and the Gulu Providence. Mm-hmm. And this is, so this is an area with a relatively high burden of rheumatic heart disease, looking at the statistics quoted in your, your paper, a reasonably high prevalence, but not particularly of mitral stenosis. It's, it's more regurgitant valvular heart disease. Is that, is that correct? Uh, well, at least in this study, when we looked at all the echocardiographic characteristics of yeah. our children who were diagnosed with echo, um, sorry, with rheumatic heart disease, not the dominance of mitral valve disease. Okay. And less so of isolated mitral stenosis or isolated um, aortic valve disease. Okay, so it seems like what you did is, is took two nurses who were experienced to some extent in echocardiography, and you stated that um, these uh, the nurses had the ability to interpret and obtain uh, 2D and color imaging in the standard parasternal, long, short, and apical four-chamber views, but they hadn't done any anything further than that. Would that be fair to say? So the two nurses had had some um, experience in acquiring images. They mm. hadn't really had any experience as far as interpretation prior to our study. Okay. Um, and so that's really where a lot of our educational sort of pre-study uh, focused on. Yeah. So really we went over a lot of the left-sided valve morphology and sort of uh, regurgitation, interpretation of Doppler, that sort of information before. It sounds like they had fairly intensive training uh, before the study started. Physician-directed training plus computer-based training modules and some case studies, and you said that each nurse, before the study began, had uh, performed and then interpreted at least 50 studies using the handheld device with one-to-one, one-to-one or two-to-one supervision. Okay. And then, so how many, how many school children did you recruit for the study? We were able to get roughly about 1,000 students enrolled. Okay. And we had um, 956 paired handheld and standard echoes um, for review. So each, each child underwent an echo by the non-expert with the handheld equipment, and then later the same day, I think, a, a, what you might call a, a formal study 
uh, by a an appropriately trained cardiologist or cardiac fellow. And then the the two sets of images were then compared. And well, maybe you can tell us what the kind of endpoints of the study were that you were recording. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, uh, certainly the demographics between the population was pretty evenly divided between both males and females, and the average age of the students was about 11 years. Okay. And then looking at the overall sensitivity for um, all rheumatic heart disease, so including those who had borderline disease and those who had definite rheumatic mm-hmm. heart disease, the sensitivity was 74%, and the overall specificity was 78%. And then when we isolated just to those children who had advanced disease or those with definite rheumatic heart disease, the sensitivity improved to 90%. Right, and this was taking as the gold standard the echo done later in the day on on the uh, full size echo machine by a qualified practitioner. Is that right? That was the gold standard in you know that you you made the diagnosis on. Correct. Yeah, we used the standard portable as our sort of definite diagnosis um, yeah. comparison, but the sensitivity and specificities refer specifically to the handheld device performance. Okay, and what did you think of those sensitivity and specificity values? I mean, were they surprising to you? Did they kind of fit in with? what you expected before you started the study, or how, how did you interpret overall the, the findings? Yeah, so I think overall they're within uh, the same range as what's been reported. I mean, slightly less than those, uh, the sensitivity and specificity that was previously reported by Dr. Beaton, looking at cardiologist performance yeah. of handheld rheumatic heart disease screening. The only other study that's really looked at non-experts using handheld echo uh, for the diagnosis of rheumatic heart disease was published by Mirabel et al. And it's pretty close to her similar range I think you said it was very, uh, yeah, very, very similar. Sensitivity of 80%, specificity of 91%. Right. <laughs> um, so she got so slightly less. But that being said, sort of looking to her study, their um, educational component was uh, pretty strong in the sense of they had sort of a multi-day training that was done. Yeah. And I think, you know, once we sort of look at the, our reasons for disagreement or non-agreement between the standard and the handheld devices, yeah. really what was highlighted was sort of a false positive rate uh, due to misidentification of jet, of the regurgitant jet. And so I think that probably contributes to it. So I think overall, um, the sensitivity specificity was within range of what we were expecting. Okay. And you used a specially um, abbreviated simplified protocol, didn't you, where you just focused on Paraston long axis, apical four chamber, and the five chamber views. Was there a reason yeah. for for omitting short axis? Was that something you thought would be too challenging, or what was the thinking behind that? Yeah, so I think in particular, we're you know, trying to think of ways that best make this program feasible on a large scale, and we particularly chose lose abbreviated protocol because of the fact that it requires less time, less images, so as far as easier to grasp. Um, from the non-expert standpoint. Yeah. And then we chose to admit the parasternal short axis, primarily because in our uh, previous experience, really most of the information gained um, from that view was looking at valve morphology. Yeah, okay. So we thought, um, one, that would be quite challenging to sort of work towards training non-experts, but we thought that most of the information could be gained from the other views. Okay. So overall, you said that the, the number of false positives was a concern. You had around 20% of, of school children identified as being positive for rheumatic heart disease uh, on the handheld echo, but then subsequently they were dismissed as not being not having significant disease. Do you want to talk a little bit about more about that and how you might reduce the the false positive rates if you were to scale the study up? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think certainly having a high number of false positives, you know, poses a challenge when you think about scaling to the level of a national screening program. Yeah. As I mentioned before, really the, the predominant reason for having a false positive study when we went back to look at them was um, identification and measurement of an erroneous uh, regurgitant jet mm. that accounted for about 86% of our false positives. 
the smaller proportion of those false positives being due to a difference between the two diagnostic criteria. Right. So the abbreviated uh, criteria by Dr. Liu uses a cutoff value of 1.5 centimeters for the mitral regurgitation, whereas the World Heart Federation 2012 guidelines use 2 centimeters. And okay. so really, I think, focusing our efforts on improved non-expert education about identification of regurgitant jets, as well as possibly the development of further developments in handheld technology. So currently, uh, handheld echoes do not have the ability to do continuous wave Doppler. Right. And so if that could be used, that might also help us out to make sure that we're able to more accurately identify the regurgitation. But I guess in a sense, it's, be- it's a better problem to have uh, too high a uh, false positive rate uh, rather than missing people with uh, significant uh, valvular heart disease, isn't it? So in a sense, yeah. it's better to have uh, yeah, to have that problem than the opposite problem. But are the developments, the technological developments to add continuous wave Doppler around the corner? Is this something that you've seen on the latest versions of these handheld scanners or is this something still that is a challenge engineering-wise? Well, as far as I know, it's still been a challenge to develop that, but I think, you know, as Technology I think moves on. As things progress, yeah, exactly. That the handheld devices will be able to encompass more of the echocardiographic parameters. Fantastic. Okay, so just to summarize, you you identified a, a very important healthcare problem, particularly in the developing world with rheumatic heart disease. And if these kids can be identified early, then of course um, antibiotic therapy can be used, can't it, to uh, to reduce the chance of a future of valve disease. And you showed that using non-experts uh, in, in terms of nursing staff was very uh, very feasible just after a short period of training with uh, pretty good sensitivity and specificity for detecting the disease. What are your plans next, Michelle? Are you, are you going to do further studies in different countries or what's, your, what's next on the uh, agenda? Yeah, we're continuing to expand, and um, our group has extended into some work in Brazil recently. Um, we're continuing to develop um, improved educational materials, as education was really highlighted mm-hmm. um, in this study, and so developing a more specific educational curriculum that has the ability to sort of test the performance of non-experts obtaining uh, the handheld echocardiographic team. Okay. Um, and kind of going forward, yeah. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you very much for joining us on the Heart Podcast, Michelle, and once again, the uh, The link to the paper will be placed alongside this podcast.